Welcome to Discovering Academia, an interdisciplinary podcast with preeminent professors from around the world, striving to stoke the curiosity of scholars everywhere. Today we talk with Boek van Gorp, professor of geosciences at Utrecht University in the Netherlands. Her research focuses on human geography, spatial planning, and geographic education. In this episode, we talk about how geography helps us understand the world and its interconnectedness. We also discuss how the study of geography helps individual regions maintain their identities, as well as the role of media outlets in shaping our understanding of a given region. Professor Van Gorp explains how she is trying to expand geographical education to get students directly involved in the subject matter, and she has the crucial role of a strong geographical perspective in our ever-globalized world. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Professor Bauk van Hop. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, well, so great for you to come to uh, to Utrecht um, for this conversation. Yeah, really interesting. We'd love to start off by hearing a little bit more about your story, how you got to Utrecht, and why you chose academia. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think the first thing you need to understand in the in the Netherlands, on uh, undergraduate uh, university programs, bachelor programs, they are organized by discipline. So you you don't study something broad, but you you really have to choose geography or sociology or law. Um, so already in secondary school, in high school, you have to be clear on your future. Uh, I wasn't. My 15, 16-year-old self wasn't so clear about the future. I knew what I didn't want, but not particularly what I wanted. And then, um, I don't know, I liked the economy classes I had in school, so I decided that was my future. Mm -hmm. And then at the graduation ceremony of the high school, uh, my geography teacher, he said, oh, there goes a geographer lost. (laughs) And I simply replied to him, oh, well, (laughs) if if I don't like it, I'll just switch. Um, That's it. Ta-da! Uh, after half a year, it was clear for me that the economy economy was not the thing I needed to do. So after a year, I switched to geography, mm-hmm. and then I, um, yeah, I was really at my the place where I needed to be. Um, I didn't go to classes because I because I had to, but I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed reading the material. So that for me was really like okay. So clearly, I'm a geographer. I don't know why. I don't know how. Uh, but uh, yeah, my geography teacher saw it, correct. Yeah. Uh, so, so looking back on it, what about geography do you think you fell in love with and why, why you pursued it? Um, well, first of all, I think geography is about the world outside. So there's a very clear connection of everything that you learn, that you hear about in class. It's it's all out there. And if you follow the news, it's but it, it, it's more than the news. It gives more explanation. It gives more critical questions about what's going on. So it's very much out there. Mm-hmm. And um, not to be bashing other disciplines, but that was, the I think, the major thing that I missed when I was studying um, economy. They were all working with models. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, did you look outside? The world is different than the model. And geography is all about this world outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, for me, was very strong. And also, yeah, when you're studying geography, you're not just learning a language, concepts, theories, but you're also very much learning a particular way of looking at the world, mm-hmm. the kind of questions you ask. And we also, we always say to students, it, you will develop spatial lenses. You're asking these spatial questions. So you're looking at the spatial behavior of people. You're looking at the landscape and how it's organized. And you're looking at uh, specific patterns in and processes in places. So it's, it's all about this spatial lens. Mm. And um, probably one of my teachers already said it when I started studying here, like, at some point in time, you will feel that you are a geographer. And I really, you know, I still remember the moment. I was walking in the town near where I live. And I have I went to uh, high school there. So it was a very familiar place. And suddenly I realized I was not looking at the shops, at the windows of the shops. But I was looking at other things. Mm. I was asking questions about, hmm, why is it here? Hmm, how can I explain this being here? What is it connected to? And that was the moment where I thought, okay, so I am a geographer. It happened. <laughs> uh, and that's something that we tell our students that will, we hope that it will happen to them as well, that they will look at places from a different perspective and that they use this spatial lens. Yeah. And I think if we, um, if we want to explain people that are not studying geography, like what is it? 
Um, it's something out there. It's this spatial lens behavior of people. But very often we say, okay, so it's about three very basic questions. It's what, where, and why is it there? Mm. So the why there is very important. So you're looking at explanations, understanding how things are connected. Um, if you want to understand gentrification in Utrecht, how it takes shape and at which particular spots in Utrecht, then you need to have an understanding of very different things. You need to know something about Utrecht, but you also need to know something about um, uh, real estate in the Netherlands. Yeah. You need to know something about housing in the Netherlands. And you need to understand how local government operates. Uh, and what policies they can put in place or not. So there's all these different uh, disciplines where you use information from, but your focus is always on this spatial mm. aspect. And I think that's very much what geographers do. Yeah. It seems to be like a reverse engineering of what you witness versus like using a model and trying to apply it. It's like kind of the opposite. Uh, yeah, of course. In in geography, there's there's also theories, concepts, mm -hmm. and, and and models, of course, trying to explain. But I think um, uh, to yeah to get a sense of what geographers do, the way they look at the world, they are always looking for these connections. How to explain this? Um, mm -hmm. Why is this happening in this particular spot and not in that spot? What clues can I find to 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 sort of um, yeah explain this? Certainly. Uh, does that allow for the department itself to have a lot of different voices? Because within each Y, you could be looking for five different departments. And so, you know, on a given floor, you might be able to really get a lens from agricultural to environmental to even some of the sciences. Um, yeah, so I think um, um, geography in itself is a very broad discipline even if you look at the Utrecht you have a rather large department on human geography and, and spatial planning and you have people that focus very much on uh, economic geography they are very much into quantitative uh, models explaining innovation I don't know or why firms locate at place X and not place Y uh, but we also have people that are studying um, uh, cities and uh, whether the city is accessible for everyone, whether everyone can actually enjoy the, the, the city. Um, um, I c my background would be more in like the cultural geography, really, you know, issues of representation. That's a very far away from colleagues that are studying very quantitative uh, uh, topics. So yeah, I think geography itself is very broad uh, as a discipline. Um, and yeah, we connect to many other disciplines as well. Yeah. When you started talking about what you do and kind of the cultural identity aspect of geography, could you maybe like start to go into what a region is and like why they are important, how they're formed? Like yeah, so a few years ago with a colleague, I uh, we 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 dove dived. Yeah, dove. Yeah. Dove yeah. into into regions as a as a concept, and uh, how regions are formed, and I think it's um, important to understand that in what is now now we call the new regional geography, new meaning late nineteen nineties, mm -hmm. early two thousands, new um, means that a region is not something that is out there independent of, of its own region is a construct so if we now look at the world we we see regions but we mainly see stakeholders creating regions for specific purposes and um, so with the colleague I looked at these processes of how regions are formed how regions are create created and whether why some regions really take shape and other regions yeah they they are there for a while, maybe only in policy documents, and they never really get going and they disappear again and maybe mm -hmm. to be replaced with another name and other partners, but still only in policy documents. Whereas other uh, regions that, that may likewise originate in, in policy documents, spatial policy, um, somehow gain some kind of momentum and become something that people start identifying on a map, that people relate to, that people even use in 
in in in newspaper articles uh, as something that actually exists. Mm. So that's the kind of the the process that we we looked into. Like, how is this um, happening, and can we s- explain the differences between why some regions uh, did take shape and and others uh, didn't? Um, we used um, um, work of a famous Finnish geographer, Ansi Pasi, who um, described this process of what he called institutionalization of regions, where he explained that um, for a region to, to become something, uh, that uh, there's four different shapes. It's it's the symbolic ch- shape, which is, for example, the name, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, it could be slogans that people relate t- uh, to this uh, region, or it could be um, with a flag, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that uh, could be the symbolic shape. Uh, then there is also the the administration of a region. Um, there is the way the, the the territory is is it kind of bounded or not? Is it organized in a certain way? So there's these four shapes that he describes, and um, if in some way there are developments in these four shapes that, that are somehow entwined, then you can get a region that becomes recognized by both people living in the area or people outside of the area. Um, yeah, so that's the the one of the concepts we used, and we also used uh, the idea of uh, thick versus uh, thin regional mm-hmm. identities, where um, th- uh, thin regional identities are often related to, uh, say, more project based mm-hmm. initiatives. Um, so for this particular research, we looked at um, five different regions in time. Uh, they they uh, it somehow were created in the south of the Netherlands, the region where I live. It's so nice about geography. You can you can work about the topics that you're really interested <laughs> in. Uh, that could be also be the region where you live. Um, so we looked at these five different regions, and one of them was a cooperation between five cities. Mm. Um, and these five cities, they wanted to cooperate together uh, to not compete, for example, for logistical firms uh, that are, of course, looking for the most, um, but they're, they're looking for a place that's accessible, that has good uh, highways, etc. But of course, they're also looking for which government is the nicest to us, <laughs> the most inviting. Um, and they said, okay, so we don't want this kind of competition amongst ourselves. Um, and we also want to be team up together to get as much money as possible from the national government so that they don't forget our region. So they they had this idea of we want to work together. Um, But of course, a region that exists of five cities loosely cooperating, that sort of identifies itself as um, we we have a highly skilled workforce, which of course is a very, yeah, it's, it's not a, regional characteristic it's a characteristic of the netherlands in general so they don't have have a lot of characteristics that people can really identify with um so this region is much more like a a project Mm -hmm. project based and i had a very thin identity Mm -hmm. they had these nice uh, on their website they had these nice promotional videos where they were explaining how beautiful it was but it it was kind of difficult for people to really identify with and to really understand what it was. And so the newspapers were not writing about it so much. Mm-hmm. And they were mainly writing about it when the cities were arguing amongst each other. But they were still competing about this logistical yeah. firms that would be, or where uh, there was supposed to be a very big shopping mall, which eventually never came. But then they were arguing and that was what the newspapers wrote about. So mm-hmm. this region never really took shape mm-hmm. in a way that people could identify with. Whereas a different project, which is much more related to landscape conservation, that really tied into the classical image that people have of the of the area, of being farmland and um, um, cozy and this, this particular kind of landscape. And, and so this region, that was much more a, th- a thick identity. Mm. It related to history to culture uh, to this landscape and people really started identifying with it so there was 
these these two uh, initiatives were happening simultaneously. So this Brabant Stad, this combination of cities and this uh, national landscape uh, policy, they were happening at the same time. But one really, you know, took shape. If you now walk in the area, you see, for example, signposts for walking routes that have this logo that refer to this region. Mm-hmm. You have these maps saying, welcome to this area with the name, and you can walk around this particular area. You have, um, you even had newspaper articles that were using the region as an argument to say, okay, so we can't be drilling for gas in this region because... It's mm-hmm. this particular landscape. It doesn't fit the identity. Yeah. And we should be developing this and this tourism because it fits our identity. Mm-hmm. So this is happening simultaneously. One stay, the sort of policy project of a few people that were identifying with it, but not like the local community. And the other was much more in something that many people picked up outside of those that were involved in this landscape policy And you can really see it in the landscape. It's there, mm-hmm. sort of. And then as a researcher, like how do you identify this is taking traction? Are you looking through like media outlets, like how many mentions or like are you polling people? Um, yeah, well, th- uh, this particular re- uh, research, as I said, it, it's in the area where I live. Mm-hmm. And um, I had heard about this national policy for national landscapes. So I was aware of things that were going on. And then suddenly I was eating in this particular restaurant and they gave me this, um, I don't know the English word, uh, the, the, the piece of paper that, that you put your plate on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the placemat. Yeah, yeah, placemat. Okay, so it's the same word. <laughs> um, and it had the, the print of the region with the name, mm-hmm. welcome to this area. And it had all these kind of things that you could do in this region. And I was so surprised, like, wow. So it's no longer just a, a region or a project on paper on, on, on national landscapes. But this restaurant is using it as, a, as, a, as if it's a region. So that sort of started my curiosity. Then, of course, I was looking around a bit more. And then with a colleague, we were talking about these things like, okay, we could you know, we could research this a bit more. He had been working on this thick and thin identity already. So then it's about combining uh, ideas. And uh, then in this particular research, first we looked at the the official promotion by these kind of organizations. So we looked at the website of the province. We looked at the website of this, uh, for example, Brabantstad, this Mm. combination of cities. Are they communicated about this region and then for a next step we said okay so what is it that national newspapers and regional newspapers can add to our perspective so now we know how these organizations themselves talk about these regions that they have created um what can we learn from studying the newspapers mm-hmm. um because yeah there's many different things that you can you know, grasp from how newspapers write about it. Uh, For example, if um, journalists keep explaining the name of the region, so every time they use the region, they give an explanation, then it means that they think their readers are not very familiar with the place. Mm. On the other hand, if they start using the name without any explanation, that means that they think their readers know this place that it has some meaning for them so that was one of the first things that we started with like okay so can we if we look at many articles from these um, regional and national newspapers can we for example say something about whether these journalists think that the regions have meaning to their readers Um, well I think the first thing that we discovered is that national newspapers write very little about this province mm. so they don't write about these upcoming regions or newly developed regions uh, but regional newspapers write about them a lot more um, and then we could again already see differences um, over time with um, the different regions that we looked at so this national landscape there was a lot of uh, articles about uh, this region but there was much less articles about these five cities cooperating. Mm. Um, And then the tone of the articles, what they actually write about. So with these five cities cooperating, in the end, it was mainly about bad news. 
because yeah. that's what gets the newspaper. It's about these cities arguing, or it's about these cities going together to the capital of the Netherlands and saying, hey, government, we need more money. Mm -hmm. We are way more important than you think we are, so give us more money. Um, and, and this uh, national landscape region, there we, we saw a lot more than we even expected. So, for example, we thought, okay, so we can look at whether the region is explained or not and what kind of explanation is given and who is using the name of the region. Is it only policy makers that are interviewed for whatever reason or is it also other stakeholders that are using it that are somehow identifying with it or think, hey, this is a good initiative. I can mm. somehow put, you know, connect to it. Um but we even saw, as I as I said before, that the region region was sometimes used as an argument, and that's something that we didn't expect. Mm. And um, yeah, at some point in time, there was to be this drilling, and uh, people were saying, "No, you can't do this in this particular landscape. You can't do it in this yeah. region because of this and this identity." Yeah, um, it's very interesting. Uh, do you use the local newspapers as a proxy to the local consciousness or will you conduct interviews with the people in these different local regions these regional regions directly no for this re research we we, st we only uh, analyzed uh, a lot of newspaper articles mm -hmm. but we didn't interview people um and for the other article, the first article, we looked uh, in the landscape itself because, you know, I'm from, I'm from this region, so it's mm -hmm. visible to me. And we looked at the websites of the organizations. Uh, but oh. that could be a next step to really interview people, um, whether they know, know the uh, region, what kind of associations they would have. So that would also have been yeah. interesting. Yeah. And then when you talk about identity of a region, could you explain the idea of a geopolitical code and what that okay. might mean. Yeah. So, um, uh, geopolitics is a, is a slightly different uh, topic than, mm -hmm. than regions, of course. What is important to understand is that critical geopolitics tells us that if we look at the world, if we look at international relations, if we look at how countries relate to or states relate to each other, um, it's important not just to focus on um, uh, actions, practice, but also to look at the representations. So um, if we um, look at, um, for example, the situation in, in Ukraine and um, other countries that want to join NATO, then we, we not only look at who's helping who, but also what do they say about how do, do they legitimize whether they are helping other countries or not? Uh, how do they um, explain to the international community as a whole, but also to uh, their own people in their own country, the taxpayers, for example, uh, or the parents of the children that go into the army? How do they legitimize these actions and also these you know, ways of looking at the world? So critical geopolitics is about this, that geopolitics is not only about st state actions or about intelligence services but it's also very much much about how all these things are um legitimized mm -hmm. uh, represented um and the geopolitical code is a is an idea a concept um used by for example colin uh, flint and he explains it's the way countries position or states or other geopolitical actors position themselves in the world mm -hmm. so it's about who are my friends who are my allies but also who are my enemies uh, what kind of threats do we need to be aware of how can we defend ourselves to, uh, for to these threats um, but it's always also about this how do we explain this to the international community to our own uh, people when you're looking at the legitimacy of actions how do you gauge that what metrics are you looking at to see okay are they following through on their action are they just giving money and that's it or how do you kind of back it up to build a more whole picture of the action itself um so um we use the whole idea of geopolitics um also for a course in the bachelor program for first year students 
And um, we just let the students focus on a particular uh, conflict, conflict area. And they had to look at how different um, uh, stakeholders in this conflict were communicating about this conflict. So speeches they would give, interviews they would have, uh, policy documents if they are, um, for example, the, the, the national government. Um, so we mainly uh, looked at uh, documents, texts, um, and how these uh, stakeholders represented it. So, yeah. And then when you're looking at all these documents, do you view them as they are just representing the discourse that is out there? Or do you also view them as like they are influencing the discourse present in that region? Uh, I think uh, it's 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 uh, both ways around. Mm -hmm. So uh, the texts don't exist uh, outside of these processes. On the other hand, uh, text influence uh, the the world. Mm -hmm. um, so it's um, yeah these 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 policy documents or these uh, re reports by the intelligence services. Um, they they. Um, yeah, they, they, they represent how these stakeholders think about the world, about threats, strategies that should be used. Um, and they, in their, in the way they create this narrative in this, in this document, they also try to legitimize this position. Like, okay, we really should be afraid of this and this, or we really should be wary of this and this threat, and we need to do more about the so-and-so and so. So these, these documents are, yeah, they, they try to influence how people look at these um, situations. Yeah. And in your time studying these different outlets, have you seen an increase in the way the discourse is portrayed as divisive because i know for us especially coming from the u.s it seems like a lot of our media is written in a way to incite division is that something that's just kind of always been around or have you seen an increase um well i think the the american news media landscape is very different from other countries mm -hmm. or is different from other countries um where it's much stronger like uh, and news outlets identify with the political parties and therefore will also strongly uh, support or be very critical of whatever the government uh, decides to do. Mm -hmm. uh, also in the international um, uh, political uh, stage. I think in um, in other countries it may be um, a bit less yeah. uh, divided like that, but still I think, yeah. A social media sometimes seem to be more about making statements yeah. than really get, getting into proper discussions. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, but I th yeah. So sometimes you can wonder if you try to uh, study representations of areas like the regions should you focus on newspaper how many people are still reading newspapers yeah uh, on the other hand social media may be used more um but they may not be telling so much yeah. mm -hmm. have you looked at social media for any of your papers um wondering if i used it. no i don't think i used it um there was one student I supervised. He did a very interesting project on um, uh, the big tech, the companies, mm -hmm. and uh, their um, cooperation with the with the government, mm -hmm. uh, with the Ministry of Defense in the U.S. And what they were explaining about this, whether they were open about it, and she also looked at um, the blogs or social media, the official. Um, uh, channels used by these companies, but they were very silent about these corporations. They were not using social media so much. So, yeah. Um, but other than that, I have not used it personally in my research. No. Mm -hmm. And then as the world becomes more and more digital and there's even talks of having like virtual landscapes or like different developments like that, do you guys do you see like geography and like the geosciences going into an area where 
people's identity might not be a physical region, but a virtual region, or like these geopolitical landscapes are going to be more, these people who identify with this group, be it virtual, not physical, have these certain types of discourses or tendencies and those type of things. Identifying with virtual regions has, um, well, we don't study it a lot mm. as geographers, I think, but um, some have studied. You know, you have these um, uh, large um, games, um, World of Warcraft, these kind of big games that have this whole world created that there is a group of people that play these games a lot and they identify maybe more with this world than with other worlds mm -hmm. or they fully understand that this is a virtual world, but they very strongly, you know, they also have a geography. They they identify with specific places in, they know all these routes. So, um, yeah, I think some geographers have already studied mm -hmm. this uh, as a sort of virtual uh, world that people connect to. Um, regarding your question whether uh, all this digital stuff that we are connected to would make the real world less important for people mm. um i doubt i doubt it i think yeah. it it's still important and of course there's people that are more like cosmopolitan mm -hmm. they, they they you know they 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 feel very connected to europe or to the world as a whole and mm. other people are much more uh, locally um, connected they identify very strongly with not even a city but a, a particular neighborhood within the city mm. and the rest is, is is less important to them so i i, I, th I think you, uh, you see different developments at the same time you have people that really focus on the nation state a lot nowadays see it all the outside world as a threat um see Europe, uh, the EU as a threat that sends out all these ridiculous policies and we don't want this and uh, uh, whereas other people are much more focusing, okay, so uh, there's a lot of problems coming at us, we need to work together in Europe, for example to really uh, deal with these issues, so I think it's you can't say it's going in one direction or in the other directions um, maybe that's part of why these times are so complicated not yeah. because of the issues that we need to deal with but also because of the responses of people yeah some people will focus much more on yeah just seems like another element that people will be factoring in you're now leading the renewal of your the undergraduate human geography program here at utrecht and spatial planning we're wondering if you could walk us through that process and kind of what you're looking to build on and what that process looks like in terms of getting student feedback and what metrics you look to see whether the change is really clicking. Yeah, so it's a, it's a long-term project. I think we started in um, 2019 uh, where we formed a small group of people, like a core team that were uh, sort of thinking about the bigger picture. So what is it that we aim with this program? What would our vision be? Uh, what, what do we want students that have completed this bachelor program? What, who are they and, and what have they accomplished? Um, and we also looked at, so what is the core of our discipline? Which concepts or which ideas do we think that students uh, should have? Mm -hmm. um, we also looked at which skills do they need to have? Um, and from there on, we, um, yeah, we sort of built a program. We have a bachelor of three years. Mm. Well, students can take four years. They can do extra courses and so on. But the basic is three years. Um, and so we assigned the courses to it. Um, and then uh, the next year, we started with the team that we're going to teach the first year courses. And they were going to design their course. And we had these sort of um, overall structure, guiding principles, uh, and we had specific skills assigned to specific courses. And uh, then, of course, th yeah, these are all 
geographers and planners from our department. They are experts in their field. So we sort of set the boundaries like, okay, in your course, we're going to uh, teach students how to write, starting with, you know, the basics, the argumentation, how to build a proper argument in your text. Uh, and you'll, of course, be something about globalization and development, but it's up to you to come up with the book or whatever text you think is important and to do the lectures. I'm not meddling with this. They, they are, you know, experts. They know best. Uh, but we sort of try to create the overall picture. So what is it that we want to have in the first year? Uh, of course, some students come to uh, geography and planning because they're really interested in planning so there's one course that's you know has this strong identity other students they come uh, because they want to change the world they are very much into uh, development studies so we need at least one course that has this more global perspective and uh, and one thing that we said we felt was very important that um in the Netherlands, that's very particular for the way uh, geography is, is organized in the Netherlands. We have uh, different bachelors. We have a Bachelor of Human Geography and Spatial Planning. And we have Bachelor, we used to have a Bachelor of Physical Geography, uh, but now it's a Bachelor of Earth Science. Mm. That means where in many other countries you have a Bachelor of Geography, you have Human and Physical Geography in one. So our students, they... If we don't put it in the program, they learn nothing about where they are planning houses or mm. where, the kind of the landscape. And yeah, with all these issues uh, playing out nowadays, uh, we said, okay, so we need to add something to the program uh, that brings in this more bigger sustainability questions mm. and um, um, the whole fact that if you... Many of them will be working in the Netherlands in planning or housing, all these kind of areas. And then we said, okay, so we need them to understand that they are living and working in a Delta kind of region. Mm -hmm. So they need to understand something of the landscape, something of the challenges. So that's one of the courses that we really decided it needs to be in the program. Mm -hmm. The first group of students that's in the new program, they will from September on start in their third year. So we're doing it gradually. Year by year, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're setting this new bachelor program in, in place. Um, we do a lot of follow-up of the students. So we um, each new course, we ask the teacher if they invite students for a um, sort of advisory group that they ask a few students and, and chat with them informally like two times during the course to get a feeling of how they think the course is, uh, whether they mm. see issues, whether they have suggestions. Uh, we have the course evaluations, of course, uh, where we also look at. And we have the t teachers that after the course get together, we look also at the products that the students uh, created. Like, is this what we expected? When we said beforehand, this was be to be a course where you learned how to do a literature review. And then if we look at the end products, like, is this what we expected? Is this what we wanted? Do we need to change the assignment? Do we need to tweak it a bit? Um, yeah, so that's the kind of um, way that we look at it. Yeah. And are you hoping that these students go into like government to like plan, work for companies, or how? What do you think the end goal for like this major would be for the most part? Uh, well, we. Um, the department um, follows up on the on the on the students, um, especially after master graduation. So we have like each two years. There's this large um, a survey of people that studied here, did a master's degree on human geography mm. or spatial planning. So we have a pretty good understanding of where they end up. Uh, many of them end up in um, consultancy related to uh, mobility, transport, um, housing, um, spatial planning. Um, they end up in different layers of the government, the national government, the local governments. Uh, they end up in NGOs. Mm -hmm. um, a few of them become teachers, geography teachers. Um, yeah, so, so there's many of them find a job very soon after graduation. Yeah. Um, and they are, yeah, in this whole field of um, spatial issues. Yeah. 
And then could you maybe also expand, you touched on it briefly before, like how important the environmental changes that the world is witnessing is, and like maybe not only how you guys may be teaching about it, but also just the field as a whole has to start to, to incorporate some of these ideas a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, th I think in general, you know, people um, very often when you tell people outside academia that you're a geographer, they look at you like, what's that? And some of them ask the question that will annoy any geographer saying like, ah, so you know where, and they come up with the capital city of whatever insignificant uh, state where <laughs> this is located. And you're like, mm, no, but you can use an atlas if you want to know. Um, but I think what we as geographers feel like what we have to add to the world, our way of looking at the world, um, looking for connections, this holistic perspective where you use information from different disciplines to understand what is going on in this particular sp uh, place. This this whole holistic, yes, it also needs to include uh, issues of sustainability. It, you also need to understand something of not just the location, but also maybe of the soil, of the kind of environment you're operating in. So, yeah, I think geography has something to bring to this world uh, because of this holistic perspective. And um, because we, we are aware that you n need all this information to really make decisions and also that it's complex and that's never, you know, just one quick good answer mm -hmm. and that th things are much more compl complicated um yeah but i think that's also something that we want our students to understand certainly uh, and it's very much i think related to the way we look at the world um yeah this holistic uh looking at the place the interconnectedness understanding that what happens here in utrecht is related to national policy as much as to international perspectives, international developments that are going on. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why maybe a, a similar development looks very different in one place uh, compared to the neighboring city. But all these connections, uh, interconnectedness, that, that's what geography is about. So, yeah. yeah. It feels kind of natural to us to, to be thinking in these kind of ways. Yeah. Uh, we talked about some of the ways to develop a geographic lens and the reading and writing. Could you talk about how creating video documentaries is one way to help develop your regional understanding, regional thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So in uh, in one course that I, I did with a colleague, uh, with, uh, Christina, she's also my uh, my my roommate here in the, in the department, um, we we had a, a pre previously had an exercise in this course which was about uh, neighborhoods different neighborhoods in Utrecht, and um, yeah, she was new to the course and we discussed it a bit and we felt we we could, you know, do a, do it a bit different, and then um, she came up with the idea of the video document documentary, uh, connecting to the work of uh, Doreen Massey, and. Um, yeah, it worked wonderfully because um, if you're writing a, a paper, it's rather static, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But if you want to show that places are connected through also through flows of people, if you're using video, you can actually see these things. Mm -hmm. So although students are not allowed to film in the train station of Utrecht, uh, they did. It's it's not a public place. Right? It's it's a privately owned place, so you're not allowed to film oh, in the train station. Um, but um, it, it it if you have images of this train station, then then it's really it makes a lot of sense to be talking about how this particular hub in Utrecht is connected to many other places in the Netherlands. The flows of people that that enter this train station uh, day in, day out, and and what it tells about this place, but also, um, yeah. So it's um, as a um, media, it's it's it it helps you know really to show these connections and students could also you know uh, bring in old maps compare it to new maps um, um, 
walk through places and show impressions of 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 um, uh, the places the way they look today and what they tell about connections to other uh, other places in the world. Because if you if you walk around Utrecht and you don't see only Dutch shops or food places, you see things that relate to places all over the world. So mm -hmm. it's very easy to to show if you use a video uh, documentary how these connections are, are there, how they are visible uh, for everybody. And if the students are um, clever with editing, they can, you know, add in uh, an old picture and what it looks like today and uh, connect to maps and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, we, we saw that the documentary but also the reflection that the student had to write about the process of creating the documentary really helped um, them to, to, to start th this process of thinking in this relatedness and understanding that the world is connected. And some of them were very open, you know, they started like, okay, so, well, yeah, assignment, we uh, have to go there once and uh, what will we see? <laughs> you never know. And then they were like, oh, wow. Uh, we really have to get back there again, and we really we didn't yeah we we didn't look you know enough, so we had to go back and oh we have all these questions now that we're really looking into it like oh we see so much more so uh, the combination of the video with the reflection showed it as, as like really these students not all of them but many of them were really starting yeah maybe to get this geographical lenses to really understand that places are connected and what it meant not just like by reading it, but by fully experiencing it. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine that creation process just feels a lot more, I guess, empowering to your understanding as opposed to writing can sometimes feel menial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you really have to think about so um, which sh shots from which particular parts of the street will I be using to explain this? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there is a, a lot more thinking involved of which places actually illustrate how can I visualize it? Yeah. Yeah. I think visual media as a whole make you notice a lot more of the details around you and the ways that you will discover there's a lot more influences here than you may, that you might just have walked by like, or you might not have noticed there's 10 different ethnicity like restaurants on your street, but now when you're documenting it, you realize like, wow, there's so much more here. Yeah, yeah I think in, in general fieldwork can do this when you have the right prompts for students to look at. Uh, but this process of really visualizing it instead of just writing a report uh, seemed to add something to, the, to this whole experience of really looking critically and what did I see and how can I explain it to uh, the audience? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you mentioned for that assignment, you guys looked at Massey's relational perspective, and we took a brief look at that paper, and he talks about the space-time compression. Could you talk about a little bit what that looks like today with the ease of travel internationally and social media making it seem really easy to connect with different places around the world, how regions can maintain their interdependence? Uh, yeah, so so Doreen Messi, she um, um, she mainly wrote about this um, interconnectedness at um, space-time compression. I think uh, relates to globalization in general, mm -hmm. and that the world seemingly becomes a smaller place because mm -hmm. we travel um, uh, much easier from one place to another. Um, and I think at the uh, when this process was really starting, many would declare the end of geography, the death of geography, they even mm. said. Because, yeah, if we can, you know, if we, we have internet and we travel from one place to another in a few hours, then then location no longer matters, right? Yeah, it's mm. the end of geography. But I think the world has proven different. Uh, geography is still very important. Um, and not every activity is can be located just anywhere. Uh, we see a lot of clusters taking place. So um, we've proven that geography is not dead. Geography is very much alive and location still very uh, strongly matters. Um, yeah, and I, I think that already shows that 
even with social media and further uh, faster internet, all these things that, um, yeah, we still have, people still attach importance to their local surroundings. Um, we, we had COVID, we suddenly had borders that were, you know, strictly guarded. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it was no longer travel uh, uh, possible to travel if you if you ha- felt like it. Um, yeah, so maybe this was also slightly a wake up call that okay, we're all interconnected, but maybe not always, not as much. Uh, there's still a lot of people which can't travel so easily as 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 you uh, and I can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think geography still matters location yeah. still matters and it still matters where you're from and what kind of opportunities you have to enjoy this globalization and this time space compression yeah it seems like it certainly makes it a little bit more complicated but you can't just completely rule out where you're from like your local ties and all those things but now more people might have to be dealing with more issues on their mind because they are facing online the world conflicts from all over the zone. Like it's so easy to find atrocities all over the world and feel connected to it because it's deeply emotional. But then still at the end of the day, you have to worry about your house, your (laughs) housing prices, your town and like all of the different things. So it seems like it just got a little bit more complicated, but not completely eradicated. Yeah, I think, but I think the, the, the social media and how it brings uh, conflict uh, uh, to your life immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some geographers have have already uh, have already uh, published about this in relation to the television news. How the Vietnam War became a, a war that w- was brought mm-hmm. to your living room yeah. by television, and before that, it was the newspapers. In the 1900s, it was the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And they, you would even have like these kind of score sheets where you could, you know, color in the borders every day, like see how the, they were advancing. Uh, so people were already, you know, following war at a mm-hmm. distance, but now it's much more immediate because you mm-hmm. get these images um, the very second that they may happen or may not happen. You never know with social media what... Yeah. Uh, what the information is that you're looking. Uh, so yes, it's it's more um, in your face, more immediate. Yeah. Um, but I think also a lot of people therefore don't go there. Yeah, they don't look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we transition a bit, could you talk to us about your work studying the beer festivals and how yeah. that gives insight to the colonial history of a region? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, um, as you see, as a geographer, um, um, we, we tend to draw in students that have a very broad interest in in everything and anything, and uh, that goes for me as well. Uh, so I um, had the pleasure of supervising uh, Chao Lin. Uh, she's she was from China. She was a PhD student here, and she looked at the um, the city of uh, Qingdao and uh, its uh, colonial heritage. Um, uh, it has a German uh, colonial uh, heritage, and um, um, one of the the aspects we 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 were sometime in, invited to to write a chapter, and then we looked at the uh, uh, beer festival uh, because the city because it had a German origin, it had a German brewery there, mm. and which is now uh, a large uh, Chinese brewery. Um, and they organize a yearly beer festival. Um, and so we were really wondering about how this festival was represented, because of course a beer festival very much ties into the Munich uh, big beer festival. Mm-hmm. And, and we were wondering like, how are they representing this particular festival as something quintessentially Chinese mm-hmm. or very local, like this is Qingdao, or is it, how do they deal with this German history of this place? Because beer was never there if it wasn't, if it hadn't been a, a German uh, colony. So 
how they, do they deal with this? Um, and we saw that, um, so Chaolin is from the region, so she knows the place, but she, as part of her field work, went there to, um, uh, to look at the beer festival as well. She even sent her parents there a few times to take <laughs> some additional pictures. And uh, we could see that there would be some generic German, Bavarian mm -hmm. types of uh, images used. Um, but there was not much about the German history or any sort of colonial issues seemed to be there. It was much more like a festival um, you know, a carnival kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it seemed that the Chinese, like, basically, I like, took the idea of the beer festival, but they made it their own. Like, completely, there wasn't a lot of German ties going back to it. No, there were some generic references sure. in images, um, but but not very, uh, n not the the kind of images that were that were related to the particular colonial history mm -hmm. of the city itself so that was interesting mm -hmm. but they have this sort of festival ground um partly or part of it is permanent and they have some sort of generic uh german old style houses built there but they are not somehow related to the to, to the to the actual heritage in the city itself like the old buildings that are still there mm. uh, from the german time so it was more like a generic um beer festival style than an actual story about the history of the city itself okay and a really good way to learn anything is to connect it to things that we like could you explain how we can connect a geographical way of thinking to our hobbies yeah uh, just do it. Uh, just you know, start wondering about the things that you do in 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 your free time, uh, from fr from your um, uh, geographical lens. So um, um, I'm I'm watching uh, Formula One uh, racing. Uh, for, I know for twenty years, I think, very long time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. It's, there comes this point in time where you're wondering, like, why do they have these races in these places? Why are these other races uh, struggling, these circuits? Um, why do we no longer have a race in, in the Americas? Or why are they talking so much about a new race there? And, uh, yeah, so I was, you know, simply... It started off with discussing the weekend, like, did you see the race with uh, someone else, also a geographer who's who's interested in, in the races? And we were like, yeah, yeah. oh, we could write an article about this. Yeah. And then there have been some geographers in, uh, I think in the UK, that actually studied, studied uh, the um, the rise of motorsport valley. So mm -hmm. they, 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 they looked at um, the area near the Silverstone circuit mm -hmm. and saw that many of these companies related to racing are located there. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they wondered, why is there this cluster? And they also looked at individual... Um, uh, careers of people working with these big Formula One teams, but also with other teams, and they saw that they, you know, they really s stayed within this region even when they switched team. So there was more geographers with this kind of um, idea. Um, I think we wrote the first article about the geography of Formula One in 2011, and then we predicted there will never be a race in the Netherlands. <laughs> uh, we are not interested as a, as a, as a, from a marketing perspective. Mm -hmm. And then in 2020, we had to sort of write a second article. Okay, there will be a race in the Netherlands. <laughs> we didn't expect it. We thought globalization, the e, all the races going eastwards, uh, following the money, so to say, mm -hmm. uh, Singapore, yeah. um, um, uh, Abu Dhabi, in these kind of places. Yeah. But hey, suddenly we have a few more races uh, in uh, in Europe as well. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely very interesting. So like, as we kind of wrap up here, do you have any words of advice of cultivating your like geographical lenses and maybe like why do you think students should be able to maybe at least like factor this in even if they don't pursue geographical studies? Um, yeah, I think um, some would describe geography as the world discipline because mm -hmm. it's the, about the world out there, but also because it's, it's about this understanding how places are so interconnected that um, 
Yeah, it, it really helps you to understand what's going on. It helps you to be critical, you know, to think critically about what politicians are saying, whether they offer actually solutions that are viable or are just tying into sentiments, but make no sense to what's actually going on. So, yeah, I think geography as a as a way of looking at the world helps you to to understand the world. And um, yeah, I think it's a shame that geography in high schools is not a compulsory or mandatory subject, mm -hmm. and that many people only see it as uh, topography, understand, uh, you know, being maps able to place uh, rivers on maps or whatsoever. It's never about how we can help people make sense of the world yeah. and uh, understand what's going on and also realizing what they can do to shape the future. Because if you're only looking at the world from the perspective of there's a lot of... Um, um, disasters going on then yeah it's not a very but if you also understand that we make our future and understand how we can influence this then yeah i think we have something to add so not just for students but i think it starts already in in secondary school and i have mm -hmm. a lot of colleagues that are looking into this like what kind of geography would 15 year olds need uh, 15 year old students need to understand what's going on in the world, but also to give them a perspective of you can help change this world. We we, we make this world. It's not only about understanding the problem and <laughs> explaining it, but also about what can we do to deal with these issues. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. To continue your learning, go to our website, discoveringacademia.com. There you'll find the show notes, resources mentioned, ways to get involved, and much more pertaining to each professor. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and join our newsletter to stay up to date. Until next time.